This podcast is brought to you by Always, Secret, Venus, and Walmart. Welcome to the Hungry Hearts Podcast, a place for all of us to come and feed our souls. Hi, everyone. I'm Amina Brown, and welcome to Hungry Hearts. I'm happy you're here. At this point, I think we've established that we like to go deep, real deep. One goal of ours is to shed light on topics that aren't discussed enough, topics that help us take a good look at ourselves and help us grow, heal, change ourselves and things around us for the better. Today, we're talking about anger and compassion. At first hearing that, you might be thinking, hmm, those two things don't go together, but they do. Sometimes when we are angry, it prevents us from feeling compassion. And sometimes it is out of our compassion that we get angry enough to take action. Nadia Boltzweber is a New York Times bestselling author and Lutheran pastor, and I couldn't think of a better voice to discuss the connection between anger and compassion. She joined us in Houston to talk about these two emotions and how she realized that lacking compassion for herself was preventing her from having compassion for others. Yeah, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid, uh, but not in a like sad way, just in a sort of in my own little world way. And the thing when you're a kid who's not well, you just live a very different life than most other kids do. So it was a lot of going to the doctor and a lot of just not feeling well. I mean, I was sick for several years. And so I just kind of lived in my head a lot. I read books. I um, sometimes would watch General Hospital. Oh, I watched yeah. General Hospital too. <laughs> and all my children. Yeah. And so, Ryan's Hope sometimes too, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. So you like stories. I did, and I just kind of um, was... Self-possessed, I would say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did you start finding your your people and your voice at that point in your life? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think you mentioned to me that you come from a, a religious family. Yeah, so the thing about the disease I had was it, um, it was sort of disfiguring, and so it caused um, my eyes to really sort of bulge out. It was called Graves' disease, but it caused my eyes to bulge so far out of my head that my eyelids couldn't close. So instead of seeing just that much of your eye, you'd see most of it. And so it was, uh, I had to sleep with salve in my eyes um, so my corneas wouldn't damage. But I looked like wow. that from ages 12 to 16, and because um, they had to wait till the bones in my face stopped growing before they could do the surgeries to correct it. So I mean, you, most people think they look like an insect in middle school, but I, I literally did. I definitely did. You have, um, you have the receipts. Yeah, yeah, I have the receipts. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it gives you a different view of humanity when you're sort of bullied that much and that alienated. And even after I had the surgeries and looked more normal, I had developed a sense of who, who the people were who would 
who would give me the time of day the year before I had the surgeries. Right. So I knew who those people were. I could sense it. And, um, and it was the same time I started getting tattooed. I started getting tattooed in, when I was 17 um, in 1986, so like teenage girls weren't getting tattooed in the mid-80s that much, and I didn't know if I hung out long enough, I'd just look mainstream. Um, now I just look like a soccer mom in a lot of places I hang exactly. out. But, uh, um, what, were you, what, what, what did the tattoos say, well, say it, about it, you? What, is, yeah. what, what were you trying to, to communicate through your tattoos? I, I honestly think it was this, um, like I look more normal now, but I will never be part of your tribe. It was a yeah. huge fuck like, you, fuck you. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like I was treated a very certain way when I looked that way and a very different way when I didn't. And I, I feel like if you have that experience, like one of two things could happen to you. You could become this very diminished person who tries to disappear. Or alternately, you could become a person who's like, Lit fuck out you. Loud. Yeah, yeah, right. And, right. <clears throat> and I did the latter and not the former. Um, but if you mix drugs and alcohol with that much anger and alienation, it, it's a pretty combustible combination. So. Right. So, so let's, let's take it from, from that place, because I can relate to that, yeah. the anger particularly, and, um, and, not, and not really having a language around what's underneath the anger, which yeah. is sadness, shame, and fear. Totally. And yeah. not really understanding that. So how did you find your way through that, through that, that cloud to to being the sort of inspiration yeah. and healing leader that you are now? Well, I got sober when I was pretty young. I was 22. And so I've been an active member for 27 years of a 12-step community. And, um, My friend Richard Rohr says the 12 steps are America's single yet very important contribution to human spirituality. And um, everything I know about life, I feel like I learned in those rooms. And for, for a lot of my life, I feel like I was so defended and just felt like, um, like my first reaction to almost everything is fuck you. Now, I, don't, I almost never stay there, but I almost always start there. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, it's much easier <laughs> to, to be angry than it is to be sad. To be sad yeah. or to be hurt. And, yeah. and so I felt like in order to be powerful or to be seen as powerful in some way, I had to just give off nothing but strength all the time. And I was so defended and I was so intense about everything and just, I had this armor on constantly. Yeah. And things have changed so much in the last few years. I got divorced. Um, I'm in a relationship now where I just feel so well loved for the first mm. time in my life. So and happy for and you. having like I'm 50, definitely having the best sex of my life. <laughs> and just <laughs> But it's exfoliated my whole spirit in a way that like um, I I all my armor's gone. I'm I thought that my power was in being strong and, and didn't realize my power was really in my vulnerability. And so um, I'm in front of audiences all the time and I usually end up getting choked up and I, um, I yeah, it, I don't know what's happened, but everything is softened You're about like the Velveteen me. Rabbit. <laughs> I know, that's right? what it feels that's what, like. Yeah, that's beautiful. And how has that changed your other relationships beyond your romance? I mean, I, I know you're a mom, so how has, sort of realizing that you can put down all the armor and still be as effective and as, as grounded. I've been, I, I've been really dabbling in sort of experimenting with compassion 
recently. Um, <laughs> it's not, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Um, and I think um, it's, I have, so, I have so much compassion for that girl now, you know, and I don't know that I did before. I, have, I get that. I just, I have such a tender feeling towards that sick kid who was so angry and just trying to fucking survive. And, um, and I think having compassion for the part of me that I resented and that I was ashamed of or that I felt like I had to pretend wasn't there has led me to having compassion for other people in a way I, I really never have. Yeah. And um, if, you, if you don't have it for yourself, you really can't have it yeah. in a genuine way for others. It really has to start with having it for yourself. And in this cultural moment we're in, it, you're not really publicly allowed to have compassion for anyone. I mean, especially, I mean, clearly, like, Ellen's the problem right now. You know what I mean? Like, there's this mo th moment we're in where you're not allowed to see the humanity of someone you disagree with. And I feel like it's costing us our humanity to maintain that kind of anger towards each other. And um, I, I, I was asked to have a conversation on stage with Lance Armstrong a year ago, and since I'm dabbling in compassion, I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then they were like, would you have a conversation on stage with Sean Spicer? And I'm like, no, fuck that guy. So it was like, really? <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was shame. Compassion just, within yeah, just limits. Like, yeah, compassion just don't limits. be impressed, I'm saying. Yeah. But, no, but, but you know, it's true. It's like we're all like corroded with this, I hate that person. And did you hear what that person said? And that person's canceled. And it's absolutely suffocating all of us. And it's corrosive. Corrosive. And, you know, Rumi says, there's a field beyond right doing and wrong doing. I'll meet you there. Yeah. And that's what this is. Here we are in the field beyond right and wrong, just yeah. sharing our stories. It's, you know, most respectful interpretation of what everybody is saying. So yeah. uh, Martin Luther in the small catechism on the Eighth Commandment said, <laughs> it's not just like, don't bear false witness. Like, don't lie about someone. He's like, no, no, no. Don't lie about him. Don't slander him. But also explain their actions in the kindest way possible. I'm like, could we just go back to not lying about people in court? Because I feel like yeah, that that's so much that easier would be, that for would me. That would be a very good start. That would <laughs> but, be... but also, I've, I've just started to realize tapping into what is it in me that I'm struggling with when I'm so angry at the other person? Oh, like people so in, true. People in Q&A are like, how do you deal with Trump supporters? I hate them. And I'm like, no, you don't. You weren't, oh no, you, we love them. Like Trump supporters get to just carry all my xenophobia for me. I don't have to look at any of my shit. Like we love it when people are so obviously worse at things we're a little bit bad at because so we good. get to put it all on them. And then, and then it builds a social cohesion when we collectively cast them out, see? Like theologically there's a term for that, it's the scapegoat, that's what they did, right? And so, when the so day good. I was having a conversation with Lance Armstrong, all day people were coming up and, hey, don't go easy on him. Go get him. And I was like, well, like, just to be clear, pastor, not investigative journalist, first of all, <laughs> but... Who's <laughs> a pastor who's dabbling in compassion. I love that. <laughs> but, like, we love that because now I don't have to think about times I took an unfair advantage at all because Lance Armstrong just gets to take all of it for us and right. then we have this cohesion among us when we all agree he's the problem we cast him out right. and so we're on stage and the first thing I say was I go hey Lance um, I see from my notes that you took drugs you weren't supposed to <laughs> and you lied about it, you set it up. and then I said it oh my god I did that shit so many times like I don't know 
<laughs> like, how many times did I do that? <laughs> I love that. You know, we've all done these but things. We and have it... to do our own work. You know, it's like, remember when Brian Williams was, was cast out? Like, he yeah, was, exactly yeah, he didn't, he didn't falsify a news account. He exaggerated a personal story. Oh, which yeah. we've all done. Right. And, and like, yeah. and it, I, I've and done it, that tonight. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It builds up these icky feelings and we have to do something with them. So we put them on Brian Williams and we go, how dare he, you know? Totally. It's so, so wise and so true. And, and the idea that we're collectively letting somebody else, you know, carry our burden is, is that's profound. Yeah. yeah, that's really profound. So we were talking in the, in the, uh, in the, in backstage because I'm 52 and, and Nadia's just turned 50. And I, I personally, my grandfather always told me that your 50s are your decade of great reward for those who did the work in the 30s and the 40s. And I can tell you so far, absolutely. I mean, just the sweetest, so far the sweetest two years of my life and I can't wait for what's to come. So how, tell me, how are you feeling so far at the beginning of this new decade and, and what's, what feels right and what are you looking forward to? <clears throat> well, it feels like you're like a grown-up, right? Like to be 50. And, and for me to be 50 and to be like fully just me feels like really subversive. And like... No, it's radical yeah, to be yourself. To be yourself. And so to me, it just feels powerful. Like you, people don't give you shit as much, you know? And I like it. I, I really, I was so looking forward to turning 50 and I only see advantage in it. And I have adult children who I adore. I like them so much. I like hanging yep. out with them. Best. They're like great people and they're just, like being an empty nester is the best thing in the world. <laughs> Yeah. Especially with that new boyfriend. With the new boyfriend. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. And what about, what label have you outgrown now that you, now that you're moved into this new decade? I, I mean, wish it was woman who still menstruates, but like it's, uh -huh. I'm still, <laughs> I still, every 26 days, I'm like, oh my God, when's this going to stop? But um, <clears throat> what label have I outgrown? I'm not sure. I don't know that I, I outgrow things as much as sort of uh, incorporate them. You know, it's I more, like that even I feel more like a collage, you know? So uh, even the things that I don't identify with anymore, like I wrote in my first memoir a lot about doing CrossFit. I haven't done CrossFit for four years, but people come up and want to talk to me about it, and I'm like, not interested. You know, I moved on. <laughs> so. So I love that. You're a collage covered in tattoos and your yeah. life is a collage as well. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful you, one. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're so beautiful. Thank you. I love how Nadia shares here how it helped her heal by not using anger as a shield or a place to hide, but by excavating that anger to discover what's underneath. For Nadia, understanding her anger led her to discover her own vulnerability and learn how to have compassion for herself, who she'd been, and the woman she was becoming. I love how learning how to have compassion for herself led her to have that same compassion for other people. My friend Austin Channing Brown, who also joined us on the Together Live tour, talks in her book, I'm Still Here, about creative anger, which is an anger we can channel for good, to fight against injustice, to make things more equitable for the most marginalized among us. This is where our anger can meet our compassion, and we can use them both to affect change in the world. 
Tune in next week as we talk about betting on yourself with Nkosi Mabaso. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check us out on all the socials at Together Live Events, and you can say, hey girl, to me, at Amina B-E-E. On this episode of Hungry Hearts, you heard from Nadia Boltz-Weber, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, and me, Amina Brown. Thank you to our podcast sponsors, Always, Secret, Venus, and Walmart.